All right, let's take our Bibles this morning. Let's go to John 21, all right? John chapter 21 this morning. And uh, as many of you know, we've been going through the miracles of Christ on Sunday morning, and guess what? This is our last one. I'm glad you didn't start clapping, all right? (laughs) I would have been, well, a little hurt if you did, but anyway. This is our last miracle we're going to consider, at least as we study through this series together of miracles. But, uh, and it's found in John chapter 21. So one more time, as you're finding your place there, let me remind you. Uh, one of the great purposes behind the, the, the miracles we find in the gospel records, all right? Remember, they're not there recorded for us just for some kind of show like King Herod wanted to see in Luke 23. Now, these miracles are not here recorded for us just to see the following that followed the Lord Jesus, though thousands did that. It is not here just recorded to show the mighty power of God, even though, listen, each one does. Each one proves and should show to you and me this morning that there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Amen. That's not the main purpose. It's not even just to show how many people Jesus helped, though Jesus helped thousands. I'm thankful for a benevolent Savior. I'm thankful for that. That's not the main reason behind these miracles we find in the gospel records. Rather, I believe that one of the main reasons behind these miracles in the gospel records is this, to prove and to show who Jesus really is. To show that He is the Son of God. To show that He is the Messiah. To prove that He is the Christ, that He is God, the Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, that's the, one of the main purposes behind these miracles to show that Jesus is the Almighty. Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 8. And here's what John reminded us about these miracles in John 20, verse 30 through 31. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. That, here's the purpose, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. So this is why we have these miracles recorded for us in the Gospel records to show that Jesus is the Messiah, that He is the Christ, that He is the Son of God. And seeing this truth, understanding this fact, listen, it should cause you and I to come to Christ as our Savior, believe on His name, and have life through His name. So allow these miracles one more time, allow these miracles... To bring you to Jesus, if you don't know him as your Savior, to draw you to his feet and trust him as your Savior. But if you do know Christ as Savior, let him draw you a little bit closer, a little bit closer to his side. Because I believe, listen, that was one of the main purposes behind this miracle we're going to consider this morning. So let's look at it this morning in John chapter 21 is where we'll be. And we'll read the first 14 verses in just a second, but right before we do, understand the things that have happened unto this point in John 21. Please know that Jesus has made his way to Jerusalem, and he has already been hailed by many as the son of David in that victorious entry into Jerusalem. He's already had that, that victorious entry. He's already had the Last Supper with his disciples because, remember, it was there at that Last Supper in the upper room. It was there that he washed their feet, taught them of real service. It was there he explained that one would betray him. It was there he also explained to them of what was about to happen uh, because of that betrayal of his death, burial, and again the resurrection. And he used some bread and some wine to illustrate what was about to happen and why he was going to give his life a ransom for many. 
That's what's going on. He told them of the comforter that would soon come, the Holy Spirit. And it was there in the upper room that he helped them and prepared them for the things that would come. And after the upper room experience, after that, they went into a garden to pray together, Jesus praying with his disciples, and went a little further and took the inner circle with him, Peter, James, and John, to pray some more. And after the third session of prayer together, Jesus, knowing his hour had come, Jesus stepped out to meet his betrayer, Judas, and the rest of the band. The Roman band that had come to arrest him falsely. And they did. And we saw the miracle in that moment where Peter cut off the ear of Malchus, but Jesus, once again showing his great power and showing he is God, healed Malchus's ear. We saw that last time. But that's over now. That miracle has passed, and they took Jesus. They falsely accused him, falsely arrested him, falsely mocked and ridiculed him, him spat upon him, and humiliated him. They took him and they beat him. Where they beat him so severely that they could not even recognize him as a man. And then they led him to Mount Calvary, where there they would nail him to a cross, where he would suffer the worst, <clears throat> worst physical torture known to man, the death of a cross. But that physical torture didn't compare to the spiritual wrath he was going to suffer as he, as the Bible says, became sin for us who knew no sin. As the billows of God's wrath, the wrath of the Father went upon him. Why? For your sin and mine. He became sin for you and me and suffered that very punishment that you and I deserve. He went through all of that. He died. He bled. He gave his life for you and for me. Why? So that you and I can have life through Him, Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. After He laid down His life, shed His blood for you and me, paid the, paid the penalty that we deserve, paid the price for our sin, for our soul salvation. After He bled and died, Joseph of Arimathea, a secret disciple, desired the body of Jesus that He may properly bury the Lord, and He did so. And Jesus lay in the grave for three, three days. And in those three days, no doubt many thought it was over. This, this man, this prophet's done. He's gone. He's dead. Maybe even the hounds of hell thought they had won over this the victorious victory over the Lord. When he was in the grave, he's done. He's gone. It's over. The devil thought he was the victor. But thank God, that next Sunday morning, there was a rumbling at the tomb. And when Mary came to anoint the body of Jesus with spices early in the morning, she found something so peculiar that's never happened before. She found that the stone had been rolled away. And she found that when she went and looked into the tomb, it was empty. And Jesus' body was not there. And as someone began to speak to her behind her, she's supposing that it was the gardener turned around and says, please tell me, where have you laid my Lord? Where is his body? Please tell me. And one word out of the Lord's mouth showed her who he really was when he simply said, Mary. And she turned around and said, Rabboni, and tried to hug him, to embrace him. All this has already taken place before we see this miracle we're going to read about here in just, in just a moment. Jesus died for your sin and mine, was buried for your sin and mine, but thank God, three days later, rose again victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and He gives life to all who will call upon Him. We have a living Savior. Never forget it. But as we come to this text this morning, we see yet another time when Jesus 
showed himself alive. You see, Jesus did not hide himself. After he rose over the death, or over the grave, uh, and death and hell, after he rose victorious from all of that, understand, he didn't go in hiding. He showed himself alive, as the Bible says in Acts 1-3, to whom he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Infallible meaning you can't deny that. At one time, he showed himself alive to over 500 people. Over 40 days, he walked around showing he was alive. 40 days. And as we come to our text, this is one of those days where Jesus yet again showed to his disciples he was alive. And the Bible tells us in verse 14, read in just a moment, that this was the third time. He showed himself alive to his disciples. Now, to his disciples meaning in a group of disciples at one time, all right? But this is the third time he has shown himself alive to a group of disciples. Let's jump, jump right into it in John chapter 21. Let's look at verse number 1, all right? The Bible says, After these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There, was, there were together Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto him, I go a fishing. That's my kind of guy. I like to fish too. He and I probably have been friends. Anyway, verse 3. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that, that night they caught nothing. I have been there, fellas, but fishing's still fun. Verse number 4. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, Have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and he shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. And therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, which by the way is John, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. I wish we could uh, say it the same way that John said it to Peter. With the loving, compassionate heart. And even a little bit of surprise, but... I wish we could say the same way he said it. It is it's the Lord. I wish we could say it the same way. But he said it's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat on him, for he was naked, and he cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits, about 100 yards or so, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and the fish laid thereon, and bread. And Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the, fishes, of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of his disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. Our Father, again, we come to you this morning asking you to open our hearts and understanding to the word of God and help us to truly catch the lesson here you have for us, the application you have for us in these few words of come and dine. And may we see the great importance just spending time with Jesus. We love you. Oh God, meet with us and do a great work in our hearts today. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. 
Now, from this portion of Scripture here, there's a few things I want to bring out to our attention, all right? Number one, what I'd like for us to consider this morning is this. Number one, consider the crew here, all right? Consider the crew. Now, this is a very interesting crew to me that's uh, fishing here, some interesting guys on this boat. And in particular, there was seven disciples in total. Now, of these disciples, there are a few of them that were named, and the first one named is Peter himself. And we would believe that Peter was more than likely the leader of, of the group, because really every time you see uh, the names of the disciples listed in a group together, you find Peter's name at the top. And so that kind of lets me know he could have been a, more of a leader among the disciples. I mean, after all, it was Peter that said, I go efficient, and the rest followed his lead. They said, we also go with thee. So I tend to think that Peter, he's kind of leading this fishing charter, all right? He's doing what he's, he's always known to do. He's fishing for fish. That's what he grew up doing. That was his profession. And so he's just doing what he knows to do at this, at this moment. But he's the leader of these guys. But when you think of Peter in this midst of these disciples, we don't always think of him as, as the leader. There's other things that come to mind when we think of the mighty apostle, apostle Peter. There's other things we think of him. And if I was to ask you to tell me something that, you, that comes to mind when you think of Peter, some of you would say, well, he was an apostle. Some of you would say, well, he was a disciple of the Lord, one of the original twelve uh, that, that Jesus called unto himself. Uh, he was also a man who penned scripture. He has two epistles that bear his name. Now, some of you may even say, well, Peter was the man that God used to stand up and preach the day of Pentecost and 3,000 folks were saved. He was a mighty preacher. Because again, just a couple of chapters later, you see him preaching. 5,000 men, let alone women and children, come to faith in Christ. No doubt he had a very powerful presentation of the gospel. He was a powerful preacher. And many of you would say that. But I bet if I was to ask, tell me something you know about Peter, many of you would go directly to this moment in his life that Peter denied the Lord. Be honest. Who was, when, you, when I say, what do you think of Peter? Be honest. That was the first thing that came to your mind. He was a person who denied the Lord. Several of us. That was the first thing that came to my mind or comes to my mind when I think of Peter. And the second thing is he was a fisherman. All right? But that's what I think of when I think, when I think of Peter. Denying the Lord, not once, twice, but three times. Now, many times this, we think of this about Peter or folks bring this up about Peter. That's one of the first things they think of about him because we can relate to that. We can relate to that part of Peter's life more than the other parts. We can relate more, more often than not to the failure in his life than the successes that he had. We can relate to his brokenness, his sinful side, his, his failures more than the mighty acts he did through the power of God. Which, by the way, he did more good things and more powerful things than he ever did failures. Just so you know that, all right? But sometimes in our own life we tend to relate to those failures. Why? Because anybody here... Never failed? <laughs> I find myself many times failing God in one area or another. We have failed the Lord sometimes, yes? And so we can relate to that. So that's one of the first things that come to mind. So understanding his crew, the very first person you see, he's a denier, a failure. He's here. Peter is here. He is in the boat with these men. Then you see this guy. Part of the crew is not only Peter, but you also see Thomas. Now, what do we know about Thomas. Well, yes, he was a disciple. Yes, he followed the Lord. But the most well-known thing about Thomas is this. He was a doubter. 
And you can read in the Bible, just a chapter before here, in, in John chapter 20, verse 25 through 29, you can read that for yourself and find where he says, I will not believe. He was a doubter, he was a skeptic. I will not believe, lest I see the print of the nails in his hands, unless I thrust my fist through his side. I ain't going to believe. Thomas was here, he was a doubter. He was a doubter. But we also know this about Thomas. It says this in his name, in verse number, verse number two, it says, Thomas called Didymus. Now, what in the world does Didymus mean? Well, Didymus means this. It means, it means twin. It means twin. Understand Thomas had a twin, had a twin brother. But who was his twin? Now, we don't know. We don't know exactly who his, who his twin was. But could it be, for application's sake this morning, could it be that his twin is you or me? His twin could be us. Because sometimes we find ourselves doubting. Walking by sight and not by faith, which we are commanded to do the opposite, to walk by faith and not by sight. Could you be his twin this morning? But understand Peter's here, Thomas is here. Then we find this guy, Nathaniel, is here. Now we may be a little bit less familiar with Nathaniel, but we first meet up with him in the first chapter of John. And the Bible says this in John chapter 1, verse 45 through 50, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him, of whom the Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith unto him, or saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou was under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under a fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. Understand the very first, maybe Nathanael was a little bit skeptic, but later on, after, after he had listened to the word, very words of Jesus, his faith was solidified in Christ, knowing this was the King of Israel and the Son of God. And he saw great and mighty things throughout the rest of, his, uh, rest of his three years with Jesus. Great things he saw. Understand, we see Nathaniel here as a man, a man of faith. And then we see the sons of Zebedee. Who are these guys? Well, these guys are James and John, two of the inner circle with Peter. They also were fishermen like Peter. They also had, they were in the same profession, but they were also co-partners in that profession of, of, fishing, of fishing. But the Bible also says about these men, they were the sons of thunder. Uh, they had some uh, interesting th things to say about individuals that looked sideways to Jesus in the very beginning. They even told Jesus to call down thunder, call down fire from heaven, and just kill all these people. <laughs> That's precious John for you, all right? I'm just saying. That was their mindset at the very beginning. The sons of thunder, the, the, the sons of Zebedee here. And at one time themselves desired to be the greatest in the kingdom. And that's what their mama wanted too. These individuals are in the boat here. Then we find two more. Those are the first five. We find two more disciples. Now, who are these other disciples? Well, we don't know. The Bible says these disciples are just two other disciples. So by way of application, can we do this again? How about we represent those two disciples, me and you? How about me and you, we jump in the boat with these guys and go fishing? Sounds like fun, don't it? I like to do that. So let's just jump in the boat with these guys and really learn the lesson Jesus has for these guys with this miracle. So take note of the crew. And then number two, take note of this. Take note of the conversation. Look at verse number four again. 
We find out here what the conversation was all about. Verse number 4. When the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was the Lord. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitudes of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and he cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship. They were not far from land, but it was, a, as it were, 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. And Jesus saith to them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up, drew the net to land, full of great fishes, and a hundred and fifty and three. For all that were so many, yet was not the net broken. And Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? It's interesting this conversation that Jesus is having with these disciples here. It's interesting how the Lord addressed them in the very beginning of this meeting. He says, Children, have you any meat? He addressed them as children. Now understand, he was not being demeaning. He was not belittling these men. These were no kids, right? They weren't kids. These were grown men, all right? When he called them children, he was not belittling or being demeaning or being just flat out mean to them. Rather, this word, children, it notes this. It denotes one who needs to continue to be instructed. <laughs> and though these guys had learned much from the Lord through his three years of earthly ministry, through his preaching, through his teaching, through his mighty miracles, they learned so much from Jesus. They learned to serve. They loved to, or learned to love. They learned to pray. They learned to preach. They learned to minister. They learned so much from him. Still, there's still much to learn from the Lord. And it doesn't matter. Listen, it doesn't matter if you've been saved for 100, 100, 100 years or one hour. There's still much to learn. We have much growth to have. We still must move forward. None of us have arrived yet. Anybody here arrived yet? You know everything perfectly? Okay, good. I was just making sure. If you raise your hand, I would say thank you for being with us from heaven. Amen. All right. But none of us have arrived. None of us are perfect. We've all got to learn something. And Jesus starts out this conversation with little children or children. And then he says this, have you any meat? Now, this could be like this. It's kind of like a phrase we would have saying today. When you're going out fishing with someone, you come across another boat or another fisherman on the bank, and you say, hey, man, you had any luck? Caught anything? Anybody ever said that when you're out fishing? That's just fisherman's code. You've got to ask that question, all right? That's what he's doing. Hey, hey, boys, you had any luck? Hey, you caught anything? And, of course, they had to... Uh, sigh and dreadfully say, as any fisherman would, no, <laughs> ain't caught nothing. They're just not biting today. And then they hear these words. Well, cast the net on the right side of the ship and you'll find them. Be like today, well, go down to this creek or that point and I promise you'll catch you some. He said, cast your net on the right side. Listen, in the midst of this faithless, faithless activity of fishing, this stranger that they thought was a stranger, urged them to cast their net on the right side of the ship to find what they were looking for, and they did. And in an instant, their net was full. And at this moment, what should have happened, this instance, this phrase, should have flooded back to their minds and reminded them of a time 
When Jesus said that very same thing to Simon and to the sons of Zebedee. In Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, we read it to you. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he, that's Jesus, stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them, were washing their nets. And he entered into a ship which was Simon's and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. He sat down and talked to people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night, have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. When it had done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners which were with them in other ships that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down on Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. He was astonished, and all that were with him at the draft of fishes that they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him, followed Jesus. Now, there was at least one person in, the, in this boat in this evening in John 21 that remembered this past moment in Luke chapter 5 and compared it to this present moment in John 21. It made this statement after they heard that phrase, after they had caught those fish, he said this statement, Oh, it's the Lord. He recognized something that the others did not. And we know that disciple to be John. He knew who this man was. It was no stranger. This is no stranger on the shore. No, this was Jesus. This was the Lord. John knew who it was. Why? Because, listen, he knew before anybody else. Because when you read your Bible, you will find John was one of the ones who was most close to Jesus. After all, it was John. You will find leaning on the chest of Jesus at the Last Supper. You will find him at the foot of the cross when all others forsook him. You will find John, the first one to the tomb after Mary told the rest of the disciples that Jesus was alive. John was one of the closest disciples to the Lord. So no wonder he was the first to discern this is the Lord's working. This is the Lord's miracle. No wonder he was the first to discern this is the Lord's, the Lord's voice. And anyone who is walking close to Jesus will be able to discern the working of God faster than anyone else. And that was John. So let me ask you before we move on here and see what I really want to get to in this portion of Scripture. Let me ask you this question. How close are you to Jesus? That's a question we all must consider and really answer. The privacy of our own hearts. But how close are you to the Lord? Are you close enough to when you hear His voice, you know it's Him? Are you close enough to discern His working in your heart and life? Are you close enough to know? How close are you to the Lord? I'm asking God to help us to be and stay close to Him. Stay close to Him. But as John, as soon as he told Peter, it's the Lord, and as soon as Peter heard it was the Lord... He threw his fisherman's coat on and jumped into the water and swam to the shore. And the others came behind them, of course, dragging the fish with them. And they came to shore. And when they came to shore, they heard this. Number one, take note of the crew. Number two, take note of the conversation. But number three, really look at this. I want you to consider this. This is the meat that I want you to understand. They heard this. They heard the call. Look at verse 12. Jesus said to them, Come 
and die. And none of his disciples durst ask him. They didn't dare ask, who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth to them fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was risen from the dead. I love the expression here in verse 12. I love it when Jesus said, come and die. It's a wonderful expression. Expression that's full of grace. It's full of compassion. It's an expression that's full of, of love. It's wonderful. And really we shouldn't be surprised about that, that's, that expression is full of all those things because that's, that's our Savior. He is full of all that. Full of grace, full of truth, full of compassion, full of love. But this phrase is full of all of that. But in this phrase, I see something just a little bit extra special, at least to me. And I hope you'll see it for yourself as well. Because it means a lot. It means a lot to me. In this phrase, we can see the heart of a Lord. And it is this. Listen. In this phrase, when he looks eyeball to eyeball to his disciples and says, Hey boys, come eat. Come and dine. Come sit around. Let's eat some fish and bread. Come on. Let's fellowship. As he says, come and dine, I believe he is showing these guys he just simply wants to be with them. And wants these guys to be with him. This, listen, is amazing. I'm blown away that he would say this to these guys. I'm blown away he would say, come and dine. Remember, who's part of this crew? Who's here? It's Peter. He denied Jesus three times and forsook him. Would you say, hey man, Peter, I love you, buddy. Come over to my house, let's have some dinner. If he did that to you? Anybody? No? <laughs> nah. Or how about Thomas? Thomas, I will not believe. I will not believe he's alive lest I see his hands, his feet, and his side. I ain't going to do it. You're a doubter, man. How can, we move, how can we move forward with that kind of doubt? We need faith, friend. I ain't inviting you over to my house. Take, take note who's here. And yet Jesus looks at all of them and says, Come and dine. All these disciples that were here that one time forsook the Lord. But he says to them, Come and dine. Yes, guys, you blew it. <laughs> they blew it. But he looks at them and says, Come and dine. This is absolutely amazing to me that Jesus wants to be with them even after all of this. It's amazing to me. Why is it amazing to you, preacher? Because I have been in the same shoes as Peter before. I have been a Thomas. And yet Jesus says, Come and dine. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I have done foolishly. I have doubted the Lord. I have acted in my flesh. And yet Jesus still says, Come and dine. I want to be with you. And I want you with me. It's absolutely amazing to me. Folks, no matter, listen, no matter what you have done or ever will do, God's love for you will never change. He will always want to be with you and you with Him. He loves you as much on your worst days as you ever could on your best of days. Amen. You can read that in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. For I am persuaded, Paul speaking, 
I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love never wanes. He always wants to be with you. And in this moment here, this scene, it reminds me of another one. It reminds me of another scene. We can find it in our New Testament, especially the last book of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 3, if you want to put Revelation 3.20 in the margin of, of your Bible here in John 21. If you want to mark that there, it's fine. You can reference it later, all right? But, but this scene here of come and dine. Go, boys, come, come be with me. I want to be with you. Come, let's fellowship one with another. This scene here reminds me of another one. In Revelation 3 and verse 20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. I love that verse. I love this verse because as I read these verses, I see again the grace and compassion of our Savior as he stands at the door and knocks. It's amazing to me. It's amazing he would even do this to this church here because these people, this church here, that you love, that you desire to be with, that in Jesus here, in this case, he owns, yet this church, the Laodicea, didn't want to be with, with him. You see, the church in Laodicea, they were lukewarm. That's what they were known for. A lukewarm church. They were full of themselves in Revelation three seventeen. Because thou sayest, I am rich, increased with goods, have need of nothing. They're full of themselves. They're saying, we don't need a thing. They're at this moment, the church in Laodicea, at that very moment, they were acting as if Jesus didn't exist. They shut him out of their very lives. They didn't want to be in the presence of God. Nor do they want God's presence in their life yet. Instead of Jesus looking at this church and saying, I'm going to remove your candlestick, I'm going to burn this thing to the ground <laughs> because you're a lukewarm church. Instead of seeing that in, in, John, I'm sorry, in Revelation 3.20, we see him doing this instead. Anybody home? Hey, Christians! Hey, believer. Hey. And put your name in blank. As he calls out, knocks on the door of that church, knocks on the door of that heart, he's calling out why. For this reason, as the Bible says, he wants to sup with them. He wants to be with them. It's amazing. It's amazing that he's calling out to them, standing at the door of his own church that he owns and passionately and lovingly and patiently calling out to them. Why? He just wants to be with them. He just wants to be with them. He wants to fellowship with them. Be in their presence. Be with them. He wants to sup with them. Now, this word in, in Revelation 3.20, sup, it means to eat together. And all the Baptists said... Amen. All right. We're Baptists. We're good at that. Okay. We're good at meeting together and eating together. We know how to do that biblical command or suggestion, whatever. All right. But we know how to sup. All right. We know how to have supper. We know how to eat together. We know. But during this time, during the first century, and really in the Middle Eastern type of family environment mindset, the family at this time, when it would come for supper, or when it come to sup together, they would sit down together, eat together, talk together, and then just enjoy each other's presence. And here's the kicker behind it all. You ready for this one? The kicker behind the supping together, 
fellowshipping together, is they were not in a hurry. It was an evening time. There was no appointments to keep. There was no rushing in, rushing out. There was no drive-through, happy meal, quick, quick time kind of thing. I got to get to my doctor's bed. There was none of that. There was not a hurry. They just wanted to simply be in each other's presence and enjoy one another. And it seems to me that as Jesus is knocking the door of his church, it shows me yet again that he simply wants to be in the presence of his own people. He wants to fellowship with his own church. He desired to be with him. And in this moment in, in, in John chapter 21, he is desiring just to simply be with these guys. Come and die. Jesus wanted to be with them. And yet the church at Laodicea, they were content to be and live without him. That's so, so sad. Uh, how can that be a contented life to live without the presence of God? Without the conscience presence of God in your how is that contentment to live without the Lord and do your own thing without ever going to the Lord for advice or without ever going to the Word of God for instruction? How can you live that way? Yet, listen, believers do it all the time today. And they're content to live that way. Content to live without the presence of God in their life. Understand something very clearly this morning. Many Christians may be content to live outside the conscious presence of Jesus, but understand something. Jesus is not content to live without His church. He wants to be in the midst of your life. Just as He wanted to be in the middle of the lives of these disciples here. Listen, the one thing these disciples needed to learn in this moment in John 21 wasn't the matter of the fish. It wasn't the matter of the miracle of the fish, really. What they needed to learn, the lesson in this moment, was the intimate fellowship that Christ alone wanted with these guys. And we, remember, we, we're those other two disciples. We jumped in the boat with them, and we need to learn that too. That God just simply wants to be with us, and we won't need to be with Him. Listen, we need Jesus. Not just for salvation, but for every single day of our lives. We need the Lord. We need Him. Even Jesus knew that when he said to him in, in John chapter 15, Without me you can do nothing. We need the Lord. We need him. We need him. So let me ask you this morning. Dear Christian, you know Jesus as your Savior. But you also know you may be a little way from God. You're out in the midst of the lake Fishing, not in a physical sense because we can't call that sin. Amen, all right, anyway, because I want to do that too. <laughs> but more in a spiritual sense kind of thing. You're out in the midst of a lake fishing away from God. Then I want to remind you of something this morning. Jesus is calling out to you to come and die. Maybe you're out filling your life, dear Christian, with much activity, even good, wholesome Activity like Martha, and maybe trying to find fulfillment and worth in that activity for Jesus. But you're not taking the time to be a Mary and just come and die. Jesus is calling out to you. Come and die. Dear Christian, just come and sit at the feet of Christ and find yourself a quiet spot. 
to where you hear his voice, to where you yourself can pray, you yourself can talk to God, and where he can talk to you through his word, find a place to sit at Jesus' feet and come and dine. Come and dine. And maybe you're here this morning, and you don't know Christ as your Savior. I want you to know that Jesus is calling out to you too to come and dine. He's calling out to you to repent and believe the gospel. He's calling out to you to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Believe that he died for you, was buried for you, rose again from the grave for you. All because he wants you. And act upon that faith, that belief by calling upon his name to save you. Romans 10, 13. Still in the book. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You don't know Christ this morning. He's calling out to you to come and die. So friend, listen. If you don't know Christ this morning, Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. Are you away from Him this morning? Come and dine. He's not left you. He's not going anywhere. Come back to Him. Come and 